Today on this edition of the Forest City Church Podcast, Susie Gomez is our guest teacher with a message, The Gift of Presence. All right, good morning, Forest City family. It's always good to be with you all, especially when you got like a cheering section over here. Thank you. Um, you know, let's just start with a quick word of prayer. Will you join me? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the worship that we've already had the opportunity to participate in, to give you the worship and the glory and the praise that you deserve. And as we look into your word this morning, God, we just ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, mouths to proclaim your goodness and the truth, and hearts that would have the courage to obey. So would you have your way in us and through us this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, welcome to Sunday school. Are you excited for Sunday school? Some of you have some good memories of Sunday school. If you're like me and you grew up going to church, you may or may not have fond memories of Sunday school. Uh, when I was young, I loved Sunday morning. I loved Sundays because um, Sundays, they were, they were my favorite day of the week for a reason. I'll tell you in a minute. Uh, my parents, they, um, they were Korean immigrants to Canada. And like many Korean immigrants, they owned a small business. They owned a corner store. Uh, And and this corner store was opened 364, sometimes even 365 days a week if it was a leap year. Uh, And the only day that they would close was Christmas Day. And the only day that they would take off so that they could be with the family was Sunday. They would entrust the store to a part-time worker. So Sunday morning, we would go to, get, go to church together as a family. And some Sundays, if it was a special Sunday, we would even go out together as a family to a restaurant to go eat. Um, and so my favorite restaurant, one of my favorite restaurants, was this Korean-Chinese-style uh, restaurant. So it was a Korean-Chinese fusion. And uh, my, my favorite dish was one called jajangmyeon. So it's this noodle dish mixed in black bean sauce. And then we'd also order this dish called jampong, which is like seafood gumbo meets ramen noodles. And then on the side, we'd order a side of spicy garlic fried chicken. And, and this would make for a good... Sunday meal, right? Like you could see why I looked forward to uh, Sunday afternoon meals together, right? Now notice I didn't really say all that much about Sunday school. We went to church every Sunday, um, and and I liked the fact that we were together as a family. Um, And and no shade on on, on church and and our Sunday school program, but um, it really wasn't all that great. Like I I can't remember many of the stories that I grew up hearing in Sunday school. Um, But you know, Sunday was still my favorite day of the week because for me, um, I think that just being together as a family made me associate all those good feelings of being together with God. Maybe this is why my favorite promise in the Bible has become, I will be with you always. I will never leave nor forsake you. God's promise to be with us always to the very end of the age, to never leave us nor forsake us, to be with us always, even through the valley of the shadow of death, even through our hardest times, that has become my favorite promise. And that promise is repeated throughout the scriptures in various forms. And here's what I've come to learn throughout my life. After many failures and after a lot of wandering and a lot of wasted time, I've come to realize that I think the thing that I desire most is simply God's presence. 
I don't want to go anywhere where God is not leading. I don't want to go where God has not told me to go because what good thing can come out of that, right? So I've come to learn that what I desire most is God's presence. And it's funny how we can be so convinced of this truth in one moment, and yet we are prone to wander like that old hymn says. You know, the greatest gift that God gave us was himself, his presence. The promise that he will always be with us is a gift. His presence is a gift. And yet, like silly sheep, we're we're prone to wander. And we wander from our greatest treasure. So in just a minute, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read us today's passage. But since we're taking it back to Sunday school, I want to introduce you to today's passage through a children's storybook Bible. Now, I don't know that this is anything that we should be boasting about because it kind of sounds like we just hoard Bibles at home. But we have a whole lot of children's Bibles at home. I have four kids, and so I have lots of different various versions of children's Bibles. I'm always looking for ones uh, that give good cultural depictions of the characters if they're illustrated. And I like ones that that don't... like dumb down the gospel, that they make it about Jesus. And, and I really like this one. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible because on the cover it says, every story whispers his name. And it's talking about Jesus. There are 44 stories summarized in this little storybook Bible, both Old and New Testament. But the, uh, the author, uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones, she does a great job of pointing each story back to the person of Jesus. Every story whispers the name of Jesus. And, and, and sometimes I think that, that we, we think that Jesus doesn't show up in the Bible until the New Testament. I think we make the mistake of thinking that Jesus doesn't arrive on the scene until Mary becomes with child and the whole nativity scene and all those depictions in the gospel, right? But, but we forget that Jesus was there from the very beginning. In fact, in John 1... The chapter one, it opens like this. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is this word that they speak of. So from the beginning in Genesis one, where it says in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, Jesus was there. Jesus was there from the very beginning. So before I read today's passage, let me actually read you the intro of this children's Bible that will highlight that truth to us again. Uh, Let me open it up. It says this. Now some people think the Bible is is a book of rules. Telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what God has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes showing you people who you should copy. And the Bible does have some heroes in it. But as you'll soon find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and they run away. And sometimes they are downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. 
You see, the best thing about this story is that it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of the story, there is a baby. Every story in this Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in a puzzle. The piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. And this is no ordinary baby. This is the child upon whom everything would depend. This is the child who would one day... But wait. Our story begins where all, where all good stories start. Right at the very beginning. And so then she goes on to tell the story of creation. Isn't that good? Yeah. I, know, I know it's a children's storybook Bible, but I just took some of us back to our early Sunday school days. We, we leaned in to listen to the story. And, and, and some of us may have heard this in the past and we needed that reminder, but some of us are hearing this truth for, for the very first time. And, and regardless of whether you've known this truth for years or you're coming to learn this just now, this isn't a childish truth. It is a truth that requires a childlike faith sometimes. And it's a truth that that inspires a childlike wonder. And it's a truth that will require us to trust that God is a good and loving father. God is a good and loving father. I need you to remember that in a minute when I read to you today's passage. But before I read to you today's passage, am I building up some good suspense as to what today's passage is? Before I read today's passage, um, I want to tell you a little story uh, that happened between my daughter and I. Uh, and maybe after I tell you the story, you'll, you'll catch a clue as to what I'm pointing to. Um, so my third child, my little Lucia, when she was about three or four years old, she randomly asked me one day, Mommy, do you, do you love God more than me? It's a strange question, but she said, Mommy, do you love God more than me? And anyone who has kids will tell you that your love for your children is unlike any love that you've experienced before. Even before I had my own kids, uh, I experienced a love like I hadn't known yet when my niece and my nephew were born. Like there's just something different when a child that is entrusted to your family to care for enters into the story. Like children are meant to be loved and cared for, cared for and protected and just, just loved on, right? And I think, I think the parks are revisiting this kind of love, this extraordinary love, these newly minted grandparents, right? There's, a, there's an extraordinary love when there's this small child that comes into your care. And most of us would do anything for our kids. And, and so much of our love for our kids is, is self-sacrificing because we're meant to protect and love them. They're small and they're young and they're cute. And God makes them start out that way for a reason. <laughs> so, so when Lucia asked me, her cute little three-year-old self, Mommy, do you love God more than me? I actually felt a little convicted at the question. Because I knew in my mind, when she's so young and cute, I knew as a mom, my instinct would, would be to be self-sacrificing in any situation. Like if a bus was coming, I would, I would throw myself in front of the bus to stop it from hurting her. Or if she got sick and she needed my kidney, without a thought, I would give up my kidney for my daughter. But, but when she asked me, do you love God more than me? I, I had to think to myself for a second, have I really given up anything for God? I've surrendered things in my life. 
But my goodness, I've surrendered and God has given so much more to me. So have I really even given up anything for God? Have I really sacrificed for God? I could have pondered these questions and taken her through this strange theological conversation. Um, but, but what I ended up telling her was something along these lines. I said, I love you more than you'll ever know. I love you infinity. This is something that we used to say to each other a lot. But I told her, I love God the most because God is love. And I know how to love because God first loved me. I also know how much God loves you, little Lucia. Because as much as mommy and daddy love you, God loves you even more. God's love for you is even bigger. And then we read together from Genesis 22 where Abraham bound Isaac and laid him at the altar to offer him up as a burnt sacrifice. No, he didn't. That's, that, that's cruel and weird. You know, I, I didn't take her down that path and start talking to her about Abraham and Isaac in that moment. Um, but that was my segue into today's passage. We're going to read about Abraham and Isaac. Specifically, this is the Akedah. Okay? I know this is Sunday school, but I, I decided to throw you a fancy word there. The Akedah. This is the Hebrew word in reference to the binding of Isaac. And somehow this story has become a very popular children's story that is taught in Sunday school. And, and many times, depending on how it's taught, I feel like kids can kind of come out a little bit traumatized, maybe a little bit confused when they're taught this story. Uh, like, you know how in a lot of Sunday school classes you're given a coloring page that has to do with the lesson? Um, you know, I did a quick Google search of Abraham and Isaac coloring pages, and, and look at some of these. This is the first one that I came across. Now, if I'm a child in Sunday school coloring this page, um, I'd, feel, I'd, I'd feel a little confused. I'd really want to know what's going on here. Is this going to happen to me? This is the God of God, God loves me? I'd be a little bit traumatized coloring this page. This one's a little bit better, this next one. But... I mean, if you really zoom in on, a on Isaac's face, it made me laugh. I know I shouldn't laugh, but Isaac's face just looks a little bit confused. He's like, what's, what's going on here? Um, this, one, this one is another one where Abraham and Isaac both look a little traumatized by the whole thing. They just look, they don't look happy. Look, they look traumatized. Um, this one is probably a little bit more accurate. It helps point to Jesus in its depiction because as Abraham and Isaac are climbing up the mountain, you can kind of see the symbolism of Jesus as Isaac carries the wood on his back. And there's one last one that I wanted to point out. This last one is probably my favorite. Well, first of all, Abraham looks pretty buff here. I mean, he's like supposed to be like 100 years old, but he looks like he's been working out. Um, but I re what I really want to point out is Isaac. Look at Isaac. Look at how big he is. Like his legs are hanging off the, the altar and everything. He doesn't look like a little boy. Some of those other pictures depicted him as a young child. And maybe in your mind, as you've read this story, you've pictured Isaac as a small boy. And, and there's a lot of different opinions on this, but scholars would actually put Isaac at somewhere between 18 all the way up to 37 years old at the time of the Akedah. So contrary to these other pictures, Isaac was no little boy. Some have even said that he was maybe around 33 years old, perhaps draw, trying to draw a more obvious parallel between Isaac and the age of Jesus when Jesus died. So what does this change about the story that some of us have imagined in our minds about Abraham and Isaac? 
It, it doesn't make it any less shocking that God would ask Abraham to sacrifice his son. And just because Isaac is an acute, helpless little boy, it's not as if Abraham required less sacrifice and obedience. But I wonder if it helps us think about Isaac's obedience in this situation as well. You know, all that, although that last picture had Abraham looking like he was like the rock, uh, it, Isaac at this age probably could have taken on his elderly father. Isaac could have fought back, but he didn't. He submitted to his father. And even when he couldn't understand, like when Abraham probably couldn't understand why God was asking him to do this, Isaac couldn't understand either. But obeying his earthly father and following his father's example of radical faith and obedience, he laid down his life as well. Do you see the parallels between Isaac and the life of Jesus? Listen, even now as I'm speaking to a group of grown people with sound minds, this story is still a little bananas to me. Like, I, I feel like I'm telling you, or I'm about to tell you as I read this story, that if God tells you to kill someone... Or let someone kill you because God told them to. Uh, Remember the story of Abraham and Isaac. I don't think this is what God is wanting you to walk away with today. I I don't think this is what God is wanting us to hear today. Because that's not really what the scripture says. It's not really how it went down. Abraham never killed Isaac. Isaac didn't have to die in this story. So how did it go down? Finally, I'm going to open up the scripture and get to Genesis 22. And if you want to read along with me, I'm going to teach just a little bit as we go. I'm going to try to read it quickly because it's 18 verses, but I'm going to pause in some spots. So, so, so follow along. Uh, it says, this is where Abraham is tested. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Now I want you to note, God wasn't testing Abraham to set him up for failure. God was putting Abraham to test to reveal what was already there. He already knew that Abraham was going to be faithful. So God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Your son whom you love. Do you know that in Genesis 22, that's the first time that the word love appears? We're 22 chapters in, and the first time that love is stated in the Bible is right here in the story of Abraham and Isaac. That's, that's significant. And God said, sacrifice Isaac there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. So early the next morning, Abraham did not delay. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey with him. Two of his servants and his son Isaac went with him. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Did you catch that? We will go worship and then we will come back to you. I think Abraham already had the faith here to know that Isaac was going to return with him. He had it in his heart to obey fully. But maybe he thought, even if I kill this boy, God will resurrect him and We will come back to this place. Abraham had excellent faith. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, 
Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. He said it twice. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now that I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. I know that you fear God. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by his thorns, his horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. All nations on earth will be blessed because you have not withheld anything from me. You have obeyed me. Do you ever pay attention to genealogies in the Bible? I know that's one of those uh, passages that people like to skip over because there's a lot of details and you wonder, well, what's this all about? Like this guy was the father of this guy, this guy was the father of this guy, and then there was Tamar and Ruth and, and Bathsheba. And, and, and I want to point out the women here because there's a whole lot of men, but the women did a lot of work too, right? Um, but, but I want to point out Matthew 1, the genealogy in Matthew 1, the very opening of this book of the New Testament uh, It says this, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. We start at Abraham. Isaac, the father of Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, and all the way down to Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. It is Jesus who is the one through whom all people shall be saved. It is through Abraham's obedience that the lineage of Jesus poured down. And then it is Jesus through whom all people will be saved. The one through whom all nations of the earth will be blessed. The one who obeyed perfectly from start to finish. God's one and only son. The one whom God loved. The one who God himself provided as a lamb to be slain once and for all. The one who God did not withhold from us but gave him up for all of us. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. And then, and then you and I, through faith in Christ, through the lineage of Abraham, are the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. And, 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 and this is the God, the Father, the good, good, loving Father who said to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am here The way that I was there for Abraham, I am here today for you as well. 
We can call God our father, our good, good father, just as Abraham did. And who are we that we are mindful of him? Or, or who, who are we that he is mindful of us? He had us in mind from the very beginning. You know, the story of Abraham and Isaac through the years, um, before the arrival of Jesus on earth, even the story of Abraham points us to Jesus. The entire Bible points us to Jesus. And they say in Sunday school, if you don't know the right answer, nine times out of ten, if you say Jesus, you might have the right answer, right? And I say in any good sermon, whether it be the intro or the conclusion, the thesis, the, the, the theme, the, the, it should always point back to Jesus. And so I could end the sermon here and just say, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. It's all about you, Jesus. Amen. And I hope that we would, we would see that throughout the scriptures, whenever we read it, that it's pointing us back to Jesus. But, but before I go, I do have a couple of points that will help us see Jesus throughout the scriptures. Um, things that we can learn from the life of Abraham. So here are some things that I noticed just from Genesis 22. You know, it's noteworthy when a certain word is used for the first time in the Bible. Like I said, love was mentioned for the first time here in Genesis 22. And it's very significant because we get a glimpse of Abraham's faithful obedience and love for God through his willingness to give up, give up his one and only son, who he loved. And we, we see in there the extent of God's full love for us. What a sacrifice it was for Abraham to give up his son. And what a sacrifice it is for God to have given up his one and only beloved son for our sake. But it's also noteworthy when when something is repeated. And there's often an emphasis that we should pay attention to when something is repeated, especially in one passage. Uh, Like when God says, take your son, your only son. God wants us to pay attention that there's a parallel there to Jesus. But he also wants to point out, Abraham, this is your only son. And though I gave you a promise that your descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the stand on the sea, you are going to trust me because I told you to sacrifice your only son. And yet I will still fulfill that promise, even though it doesn't make sense to you right now. I think there's a hint that we should pay closer attention when something is repeated in one passage. So the first thing that I, wanna, uh, I want us both to pay attention to and adopt for ourselves in this passage is, is Abraham's repetition of the phrase, here I am. Abraham says, here I am. He says it first when he's called by name by God. And he says, here I am. And then what follows is God tells him to go sacrifice his one and only son. But Abraham already said, God, here I am. I'm ready to listen. What do you have for me? And because Abraham had that here I am posture before God, he was ready and willing to obey. Abraham had ears to hear. So the first thing, make it a habit to say, here I am before God, so we will have ears to hear. This is important because Abraham also needed to have ears to hear when the angel of the Lord came and said, Abraham, Abraham, stop what you're doing. Because Abraham had a constant ear turned to God, he heard when the angel of the Lord said, stop as well, and God prevented him from harm because he had an attitude that said, I am ready to listen. Here I am. Another thing that is repeated in in chapter 22 is the phrase, Abraham looked up. 
And actually, if you go throughout Abraham's life, there are many times where it says Abraham looked up. And here again, we see Abraham looked up. Not only did Abraham have eyes to, uh, ears to hear, he had eyes to see. In verse 4, Abraham looked up and saw the place that he was to go to sacrifice Isaac out in the distance. He saw a place that he didn't want to go, but in obedience and in faithfulness, he went. In verse 13, again, Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. Abraham looked up, and he saw God's provision. Lastly, look up is not explicitly stated here, but I think it's inferred when God reminds him, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. I think it's inferring Abraham, look up and see God's promised provision. By looking up, Abraham had eyes to see. So like Abraham, let's make it a habit to look up towards God over our circumstances, even when they don't make sense, that we may see that God is up to something. Look up so that we will have eyes to see. And this is the last repetition that I want to note. God will provide. When Isaac asked where the lamb for the burnt offering was, Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. Abraham's belief that God would provide allowed him to have the courage to step forth in obedience. Abraham needed to declare with his mouth, God will provide. Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. Abraham declared it with his mouth and in his heart he believed. And therefore he had the courage to obey. So church, I pray that like Abraham, we would make it a habit to say with our mouths, And believe it in our hearts that God will provide so that we will have the courage to obey in any circumstance. Now I've heard it in uh, one or two sermons in the past that I've heard about Abraham and Isaac. I've I've heard the question asked, maybe the challenge delivered. Uh, I feel like what what we often want to look at in this passage and and the the takeaway that we want is, is, well, what do I need to lay on the altar before God? What what do I need to sacrifice before God? What is that thing that I need to, to, to give up before God? And I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm not saying that we shouldn't ask that question. But I wonder if a reframing of that question would be helpful. I wonder, you know, in the Bible it says that Abraham did not withhold anything from God. And therefore God came through. And so I wonder maybe we should ask ourselves, what is it that I'm holding back from God? Not necessarily, what do I have to sacrifice? What do I have to burn up on the altar? What am I holding back from God? Is that a convicting and challenging question for anyone? What am I holding back and why am I holding back? Do I think that God is not a good God? Why am I holding back? Do I not fully trust that God will provide? Am I not really tuning my ear? Am am I not fully saying, here I am, Lord, like Abraham did? I wonder if we can have that posture before God where we say, here I am. I wonder how often we would see God show up and say, here I am. Here I am. I am the great I am. I am the one who has promised to never leave you nor forsake you. I am the one that will never leave you in your darkest hour. I will be with you to the very end of the age. I wonder if we can fully say to God, here I am. How much more often God would show up and say, here I am. 
I've always been here. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Church, are we ready to not hold back from God? Are we ready? I wonder if you would stand up with me right now as we go into worship. And if you feel comfortable, for me sometimes when I worship, I lift up my hands as an act of surrender. Or I offer up my hands like this and I I say, Lord, here's what I'm offering, but I also want to receive from you. So whether you want to hold your hands up like this or you want to hold your hands out like this, or if you just want to close your eyes and just forget about who's around you right now, I just, I pray, Lord, that we would get lost in our worship right now. That we would say, here I am before you, Lord. Would you show up in my life? Would you show up and show out who you are? Because you are a good good father, a faithful father who has promised to never leave nor forsake us. And we thank you, Lord, with that. And right now we want to give you the sacrifice of praise that you deserve in our worship. Amen. You've been listening to Susie Gomez, special guest speaker at Forest City Church. Thanks for listening.